0: welcome to Round Hill Radio, the podcast from Round Hill Community Church. Through our conversations, we discover the holy and the ordinary, find moments of grace and peace, and redefine what we're talking about when we talk about faith. Good morning, Ed.
1: Good morning, Leslie. How you doing? So far, so good. How about yourself? <laughs>
0: Great. Doing well. the uh, The rainy, rainy weather mm. kind of has me looking for sunshine in other places. <laughs>
1: Here's hoping you'll find it.
0: Thank you. I like that we started each podcast, I feel like, with like a weather report. <laughs> right.
1: Yeah. Well, we're still smiling and laughing, so.
0: It's okay. Yeah. You found some sunshine somewhere. Everybody listening is like, that was yesterday, guys. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we're very current, everybody. We're very current. <laughs> it's all good. So what are we talking about today?
1: Connection.
0: Connection. Yeah. That's a nice idea. I
1: think so. I think that was your word, actually, but. Uh, oh, super. <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> well. I guess the word connection is in the air because we are reconnecting mm-hmm. uh, and I've seen all kinds of examples in local congregations and in and all and, and actually in many other ways of people starting to come together again. Yeah. And, um, you know, book groups at the library and special, you know, gatherings here and there. Mm-hmm. That's been really exciting to see. And uh, the thing that I notice is that much connection is making people hungry for more connection. Yeah. So uh, when I've attended some different small groups in the last few weeks with a variety of people, the common thread has always been, so what's next?
0: Oh, interesting.
1: Yeah. Like this was great. This felt wonderful. It felt so nourishing. What can we do next? Yeah. And people are starting to get creative with that.
0: That's exciting. Yeah. Yeah. So kind of small group things right
1: small groups and i think there is such power in small groups uh you know i think the church especially has kind of gotten in this rut over the years that you know how do we make ourselves as big as possible right rather than you know small can be just perfect and can be more you know more than enough. I had a friend who taught at Hartford Seminary for many years, Carl Dudley. who was a really remarkable man, a great teacher, but he his his great theme. He worked with so-called small churches, which is funny because most churches are small now. Yeah, <laughs> um, but he said, you know, small churches are the right size, hmm. and so he wanted people to stop feeling a low sense of self-esteem. And, uh, I was actually part of a, a group that's doing some social advocacy work on a particular issue. And, uh, one of the questions that came up is they were working with someone who's an expertise in the field that they're, you know, addressing. And they said, so how can we grow larger? He said, you know what? You're big enough right now to have a, a huge impact. Wow. And he was talking with about eight people. So I think that this is what we're discovering. If you put eight people around a table to eat to discuss, to think about something, just mm-hmm. enjoy each other's company, Yeah, great things can happen.
0: I mean, it's worth saying that most dinner tables kind of ca- tap out at, at eight. They do. You know, right? that that's kind of the optimal dinner party size, and you have to start bringing in all sorts of random chairs. Exactly. <laughs> you know,
1: can get dangerous at that right. point? Right. Well, and I,
0: I mean, <laughs> no kidding. And I think about, you know, with COVID and everything, that beyond that, it almost starts to feel perhaps a little uncomfortably large Mm -hmm. at least for me and you know we're not i'm not used to spending time in a large group right i don't love crowds anyways on the best of times yeah and during the worst of times i definitely don't want to be around crowds (laughs) um so i feel like you know to me like a perfect evening is is conversation in a small group because i feel like you get um you get deeper Mm -hmm. in your conversation and in your in your connection
1: yeah I think there's an optimal size for groups. I've often heard the figure 12 to 15, Mm -hmm. you know, that that's kind of the large size of things. Yeah. And, um, I think that 12 to 15 is a nice group for some of us who are on the introverted side of things. (laughs) It's like just large enough that we can kind of sneak away, you know, sort of go to the, go to the edges of the group. But for extroverts, there's room, you know, and, and Mm -hmm. the, the smallness of it can kind of soften the edges a little bit. Yeah. And, um... I think that, you know, historically, there's always been such power in small groups meeting to decide that they're going to make a big impact on the world, mm. you know, and then then they sort of launch their efforts from there. But there's a trust in the size of the group. Right. So that's been fun. I mentioned to you earlier that uh, there was a theologian whose name was John Taylor, and John Taylor was a really a remarkable leader in the Church of England. He was uh, a bishop. He was also a playwright, and so he was an artist. He had all these different sides to him. But he liked to think of congregations as being composed of little congregations. And so that, you know, his, his observation over the years is that when people would come and join a congregation, actually what they joined was a little congregation, they would become part of a special interest group or a committee or something like that, where they felt like they'd been called. And I think that's going to come back now. I think people are feeling that they want to be really choosy about their groups and their causes, right? Uh, Because we've had a long, hard time of it and we don't want to feel like we're extending ourselves into a small group experience that's not going to be rewarding in some way. Sure. So that's very positive. And I have noticed a big change in people coming to churches. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think this is true in probably many communities of faith. But when people are coming now, they're asking the question, how can this group or this congregation support my spiritual journey? Right. So they're asking that question first, and rather than, you know, how what, what committee can I serve on? Yeah. Tends not to be the opener.
0: E- sure. <laughs> yeah. I don't... <laughs> I think it's, I think it's, it's tempting when, when we have situations that, that we need, you know, we see someone who's clearly cares and wants to participate and you're like, oh, you could really participate. Totally. Yeah. <laughs> it's a little.
1: Have we got a place for you? Yeah. We yeah. can get a little aggressive. <laughs> we can. We're, we're learning to just dial that down quite a bit. Yes. You know, st- yes. Step away from that.
0: Yes. Even in the AGO, you know, we're looking at like. Dialing down the the volunteer just sheer numbers yeah. that we need well, yeah. need air quote need yep. you know to get keep things moving because it's draining.
1: It's draining. Yeah. It's so funny you use that word because I heard someone else use that word just yesterday that they just felt drained by the whole ex- you know experience of being in uh, you know the pandemic. Yeah, and um, you know this is a person who's had a lot of deep involvement in the life of the church over many, many, many years, but just feels right now that, you know, there's, this has taken too much. And so, um, this individual kind of has to just kind of step back a little bit and reappraise things. Sure. But that's where the small group comes in because to be part of a, of a group of people who are supportive and encouraging, um, I, I, there's a story that I've told in the past about my, one of my cousins, um, who was very involved with his family in the life of a large church in the Midwest. And, um, his wife had, um, had died. And so, you know, I, my comment to him was, you know, wow, you must've gotten a lot of support from your congregation, you know, over the years, Mm -hmm. you've been so involved. And he said, not so much, actually. He said the group that really supported me with a group of guys, I, I he drank coffee with every morning at McDonald's at eight o'clock. Oh, that's And so lovely, they'd though. go down there and, you know, they'd all be there kind of mm-hmm. ribbing each other and <laughs> joking around, right? <laughs> Talking about the football game on the weekend or whatever it right. was. And uh, he just had, he got so much from that group. Mm-hmm. And some of those men had been through his experience. Sure. And gave him advice and counsel as he needed it. You know, they didn't force anything on him. I just, I, I really love that story. And I was so glad that he found that place. Yeah. You know, and sometimes that's, I guess the other side of it is not all groups have to be formed and planned. Right. Right. we Making can kind of spontaneous. Stumble into them.
0: Yeah. It makes me think of... Um... British pub culture mm. of like meeting everybody like down at the pub. It's like a gathering yes. place, like whatever your gathering place is with, yeah. you know, kind of similar people with similar experiences or not. Yep, you know, and that's kind of interesting. It's kind of like the Cheers of England, right? You know, right.
1: I love that example. Because you never know who might be there on a given night. Yeah. Right? And so you show up and suddenly you're rubbing elbows with somebody you hadn't thought you were going to meet.
0: I mean, having a conversation, drinking beer and playing darts sounds like <laughs> a great night. I'm <laughs> just going to say.
1: Soothing in some way. That right? sounds so fun. <laughs> <laughs> right.
0: Just like the relaxed nature. Just like everybody spending time together, conversation, Yeah. you know, talking about the footy or whatever. That's right. I watch a lot of British television. Sorry. <laughs> I, <know.
1: laughs> I think we all are watching, you know, a lot of people are watching a lot of British television right, <laughs> yes, we now, right? yes, we are. Yes, we are. Our language is changing without us even knowing it. I,
0: I'm okay with that. <laughs> yeah. That works for me. It's funny too, because um, just yesterday, Gus and I were talking, he was telling me about the blue zones of the world. Hmm. Have you heard this? This no. was new to me. This idea of blue zones where people live Remarkably longer lives than oh, in other places. Okay. I didn't had I had heard of that, but yes. not that they were called blue zones. Same. Um, yeah. And he was saying, you know, you would think it would be, you know, what's the f- dominant factor, right? So he was saying, you know, you think it would be like great amount of time spent outdoors or exercise or really healthy diets. And he made sure to tell me, no, they do to eat bread in these places. Um, <laughs> but the dominant feature of these blue zones is time and and uh connection with community wow that these people have a strong sense of community and that in of itself seems to be the the, the similar the factor that joins these different blue zones of the world this idea that people are living wow. in community and have strong connections to each other
1: yeah that's a wonderful insight uh, it, because, you know, you you think about the things that might normally come to mind, you know, what's the state of healthcare and mm-hmm. whatever, education and all those things. And right. here it's just the the human connection right. that matters most. Yeah, that's that's lovely. I think as someone who, you know, over the years has struggled with uh, introversion, you know, that I would, I have tell people, I've become a trained extrovert. You know? <laughs> <laughs> Probably most pastors are trained extroverts. Yeah. Maybe directors of music too.
0: No, I'm definitely an extrovert.
1: <laughs> <laughs> you got a running start. That's not fair. Yeah, so. I did.
0: Sorry. <laughs> Most of them are. I'm very... I'm not normal. <laughs> as we know, I'm not normal. But in this, I am also not normal as an organist. Most organists are very... Fair enough. Because, you know, especially... It's not even necessarily directors of music, but organists, because we all spend time alone yes, in true. practice rooms. <laughs> I will say, I'll divert to a really funny story really quickly, because it makes me giggle so hard, that... um at the ISM at Yale, there's a there's a practice hallway. So there's, you like like have your key and you unlock the door and then the doors on each side. So there's four practice organs. I think there were like two practice pianos uh. on the end. And so we'd all, you know, some people would have church practice at their churches or whatever. I was working in Westport, so it was like a half an hour away. So I'd practice up at the ISM. Yep. So with my friend Matt. So we did this thing where we would practice for 45 minutes and then we'd watch an episode of I Love Lucy. Oh, and then we'd go back to practice. Art and then we'd watch and community it. Community
1: and entertainment all was, blended together. It was great. Oh my God. And it made my
0: extrovert heart because I was like, I cannot sit by myself. I I have a hard st- At 45 minutes, I start to get restless. At an hour and a mm. half, I cannot be in a room by myself any longer. I like I cannot <laughs> just sit there and get all fidgety. It's like it's like social withdrawal or something. I, I cannot sit by myself for that long. So he would save me from myself every 45 minutes with an episode of some uh, retro television shows great
1: that is a well that's actually a really good thing to know about yourself that you have those kinds of experiences and
0: i used to fight it for a really long time Mm. um, and feel really bad about it because as a musician you're expected to practice three four five six hours a day sure um and i realized i could not do that in one stretch and people just sit down and play and play and play and play and play i just can't yeah and i was like why If I get that much over the course of a day, how is that, like, it's not any different. Sure. Right? I'm still getting the work done. That's right. You know, so.
1: Well, you know, it's great that you, so I I really do think it's great that you know that about yourself though, because our tendency is to tend to push through, right? We just keep following whatever the dominant picture is in our mind.
0: Yeah. Of like what I should be doing. Yeah. 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 But as my friend Heather said in grad school, don't shut yourself.
1: No kidding. (laughs) I love that. (laughs) Thank you.
0: yeah. <laughs> it's one of the best things anyone's ever said to me. <laughs> She's very wise.
1: Nice. Nice. <laughs> well, I think that for the times in my life, um, off and on when I feel like, oh, I really don't necessarily want to go to this gathering or I really don't want to be part of this group sure, or whatever. Sure, sure. That by and large, when I go afterwards, I've said, oh, that felt great. Good. You know, and that's I think good. that that's the, that's the healing part of connection it may not feel great initially sure you kind of have to turn the wheel a little bit to get it moving in the right direction Mm -hmm. but i often find that once i'm part of a group and enjoyed an evening together that by the time it's done i'm always thinking this was such a great thing to do and so the more we can help each other to create those experiences especially as we head into the winter Mm -hmm. you know the better off we'll be
0: well i think too for you i mean I wonder is being cuz being a pastor I feel like is kind of an identity mm. and I feel like there's sort of an unspoken expectation of like how 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 you show up to social <laughs> right. gatherings that isn't just like oh it's Leslie showing up no it's the Reverend Dr. <laughs> Ed Horseman is here good heavens right save
1: us <laughs> run now but do you do you do you, oh, well, do you, you think
0: about that or is that are there like
1: I have been uh, mercifully oblivious to that oh, over the I'm years. Oh, I'm sorry.
0: Did I ruin
1: it? <laughs> no, it's all good. Okay. It's all good. <laughs> sorry. <laughs> no, you know, it kind of was one of those things that definitely surfaces from time to time. Sure. You know, like it, it'll like drift in from the outer space of consciousness back and right. like, oh gosh, I wonder what people are expecting of me right now. Yeah. But I've been, for whatever reason, I've always been able to kind of send it along its way. That's
0: great. Yeah.
1: I think I was very... Fortunate early on in my experience of ministry to have people who reminded me to do that, Mm. like just don't let that matter. Yeah, you know, but but it is an issue for people sometimes. And this is kind of a funny aside. When I was training uh, at Union Theological Seminary in New York City, there was a professor of speech and drama. Hmm. So we used to have to take uh, voice lessons. Excellent. Yes. And Bob Seaver was the teacher. He became a very dear friend. He was a remarkable man who taught at Union for over half a century. Wow. And so his class, interestingly enough, to your point, was called Freeing the Natural Voice because so many preachers would step into a pulpit and completely change the way they spoke. Yeah. And he would say, I listened to you down in the hallway the other day, and what you 're doing now is not what I heard down there. What happened to that voice? Right. What happened to that person yeah, and it 's that dreaded pastoral identity mm-hmm. and that would i guess that's one way of saying that that's the can be the downside of being in groups is that you do think about identity right and you feel like you can't really be yourself and then that's not good it, for anybody yeah right
0: right well because you're not showing up authentically exactly and then you're kind of yeah. like you get caught in this weird, whatever that weird like, identity is yeah <laughs> and don't it's, get caught there it's funny it makes me think of um how Shakespeare was done maybe like 30, 40 years ago. There's mm. been a huge styles change mm. in Shakespeare performances, because it was like, I am doing Shakespeare oh, and right. I shall have this voice. <laughs> right. And it was cringy. And everybody's um, like,
1: with their backs against the wall, looking
0: Yeah, and like the I was like, oh Actually Kenneth Branna and all of his work with that like really transformed how it's performed and how it's filmed and yeah everything. That's just, just an aside I wanted to share. I'm so glad you did. Thanks. I went to Shakespeare <laughs> camp as a kid. <laughs>
1: oh, this is more than I really wanted to know. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Shakespeare camp. That is... Talk about Karen connection.
0: Isn't that something? It was great. <laughs> I'll bet it, it was. was. So, well, because it was like I got into this... I mean, basically, it was nerd camp. They had us all... Um, take the SAT as like eighth graders or something, eighth graders, ninth graders. And if you do well, God blah, blah, blah. Um, and so it was like, you could go and do like calculus, which I was never going to do. <laughs> and there was like computer programming, which I kind of wish I'd done now. Um, but then like the only artsy thing was Shakespeare.
1: Wow. But
0: what it was it. so much fun. Yeah. Because we studied it and we performed it and it was, What you an know, opportunity. It was super cool.
1: Of course, it sounds yeah super cool now, but a lot.
0: Yeah. I mean, you know, <laughs> I was never going to be the cool kid. I, I learned that pretty early, so I let that go. <laughs> You're doing fine. Also, I learned that drama kids um, have no patience for like the cool kids, mm. which was great. <laughs> You know, you learn to let that go, and then it's like all their own click.
1: You find a niche.
0: You do right? Yeah, because I mean, let's be honest. I wasn't (laughs) going to find um, organists, right? In my there was one other organist in my hometown that was my age.
1: Wow. Yeah, I saw him like every three years or something. (laughs) You know, you have to create those little congregations. (laughs) Little
0: car, (laughs) nice looping it back, looping it back. But that's what it is, right? It's like finding people with that you can connect with on a deeper level than just like, yeah. Hi, how you doing? <laughs> yeah,
1: I I know, and I've always admired. I will say, um, people who have found those groups that, that eventually they become friends mm-hmm. and they become really tight, you know. And over the years, they become such great support, you know, for each other, and uh, and sometimes reach out to the wider world. It's it's really remarkable. But again, it all goes back to the power of a small group to change the lives of the people in it. Yeah, and the world around them.
0: Well, and I feel like. Um, a church can be such a great opportunity to make friends and yeah. make connection because I feel like, you know, a lot of friends I made, you know, in college or grad school, because you're literally in a group with like-minded people who are doing something that you are passionate about and you're all passionate about it together. So you can have that connection yes, and yeah. that, that innate like understanding of each other. Like it wasn't until I was in college truly that I had sort of was surrounded by people who were as passionate about music and just sort of lived this identity. Mm-hmm. Um, and I wasn't the weird kid anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. and so yeah. that was such an amazing thing. And so now as it all, you know, so many of us are in our post school years, it's mm-hmm. like, how do you make
1: friends? Yeah. Yeah.
0: Right. Like you don't necessarily like want to go to a bar cause that's kind of something else. Yeah. Right. And it's like adult sports maybe, but like, the church is such a wonderful place when there's so many people with so many different, uh, points of view, mm-hmm. especially interests. this place, which I love and interests. Mm-hmm. And I think it's a really great place, um, to, to find, to find, find your, find your people, as we say.
1: Yeah. And, you know, I've had, um, over the years, I've met newcomers who've come to the congregation, you know, for the first or second time and have said, you know, is there a group here for such and such? Mm -hmm. And I've always found the best answer for that is there may not be now, but. You know, if you think you might like to start one or get to know people right. until you find out whether there might be an interest in common, come and, come and be part of an exploration and see if that's going to happen. That's fun. Um, yeah. And it can be fun. I think when people find that it's been always amazing, you know, such a, a gift to me over the years when I've met people in congregations who will say, you know, I've known people here for 40 years hmm. or 50 years and we traveled together. We've eaten meals together. We shared stories together. That's that makes life very, very rich. And I think we're at the point again, where we're becoming hungry for that kind of community.
0: Absolutely. So thank you all for being part of our community, mm-hmm. uh, even though we don't get to be in all the same places. We are grateful for you and grateful for your, uh, your presence and, and participating in these programs that we do. So we hope you all have a great week and we'll see you next week on Till Radio.